Welcome back to our dear listeners to a new episode from the Happy 9 to 5 podcast. We have spoken about how companies can get started with automation in finance, employee benefits, and a lot of market insights from different experts. Today, we're talking about how HR departments can start automating their processes. And we have with us our technical guest, John Butterworth. Hi, John. How are you? Hey, all good. Good to be here. Lovely having you. We know you come with a very strong background in this area, so we're excited to have you and we'd love to learn more about you. Okay, so um, yeah, I've been in the region now 10 years. Mm -hmm. I moved from the financial services sector in the UK and had a, an interesting uh, traverse through Saudi Arabia initially, working for, uh, for KAUST, the forerunner of NEOM working on big data projects in, in human resources. Moved to Qatar briefly and spent the last seven or eight years working here with organizations such as Jumeirah Group. Um, I led the startup for Noon. I've worked for private equity across various different organizations and various verticals. And for the last three years, I've been focusing specifically on um, future of work advisory um, across a wide range of different organizations in the region. So a very varied, um, a very varied and mixed, uh, mixed ten years. But very, very detailed um, mm. with different sizes of organisations, and I can already see how you have different experiences with how digital transformation comes into play with these companies. Something that you know, an HR manager or a business owner at an SME wonders about is automation is important. We need tools to make things easier, efficient, cut down time, but where do they start? It's the fundamental question. Um, <laughs> there are so many tools out there and so many technologies and softwares out there that can enable you to automate either little bits or whole swathes of, of, of an operation today. And I think to most people, it's actually quite overwhelming. One of the biggest challenges that we see is the question of who owns the, um, the future of work mm -hmm. in an organization. And I think that's where we've really focused and, and where my mind's focused in the last few years to help people. Because you typically in an organization have this gap. You have the CTO or the head of technology whose job a lot of people in the organization think it is to bring all this new technology in. And then you have the functional leaders, whether it's finance, HR, who the CTO is actually sat waiting for you to come and say what you actually yes. need. So you have this kind of challenge. And, and what we've spotted was that in a lot of organizations, there's maybe a gap. And we're kind of calling it the, the chief future of work officer, mm -hmm. where you're actually, you, you need to step out of the human resources organization for a second and think of, what should look what should work really look like in the in, in this organization what work shouldn't really be done by being by people because mm -hmm. it doesn't add any value you know and 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 it's really difficult to kind of separate yourself from that as a hr professional because you're in this because you're about people and one of the natural perceptions is that if i start automating work i'm going to be taking work away from people and people may lose their jobs but that's actually not true at all. It's about efficiency, adding more productivity into the workplace. It is. And, and actually, the thing that we see over time is that the jobs that are left at the end of an automation project are far richer because the jobs that are left, yes. they need the grey matter. They need, exactly. they need um, cognitive ability mm -hmm. for the jobs that remain. Um, so I think a lot of people are concerned and scared about that and therefore don't kind of want to dip their toe in the water. So in terms of where to start... Uh, there is all this looking at other people in the organization, seeing who's going to take the lead. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the fundamental. It's kind of overcoming that first step for, for HR, you know, and, and then figuring out, okay, well, 
you know, are we looking at that from a HR perspective? Are we looking at this from a whole organization perspective? Um, but the first step is to dip your toe in the water. Yeah. Okay, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, you have to get started somewhere to understand what you exactly need. In my opinion, the first uh, step in the line is to look at your operations overall, what's taking time out of your people, and getting started with that. Mm -hmm. If it's something valuable, then yeah, they should be wasting their time on it. But if it's a lot of admin, a lot of calculations, that's something that you know you can let an algorithm or a tool do for you. So in your opinion, where should an SME start in terms of assessing the, the processes that they need to automate? I think if we look at universal processes, so for example, if we look at what has to happen at the end of every month, we need mm -hmm. to pay people. Mm -hmm. um, and what's the most important thing to most people? Getting paid correctly. Um, so one of the first things that we always see is, is complexity in organizations around technology quite often comes around um, organizations and SMEs uh, and especially even larger companies, the guys who have uh, maybe sales forces or very incentive driven um, workforces. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the challenge of, of collating all of that data through finance, through whatever your incentive scheme is, through timesheets or time in attendance, that's really often seen as, as by, by a lot of organizations we engage with, that that has to be done by humans because there's so many steps and it's so complex. But when you take a step back from it, it's actually really simple because you break it down to the components of automation. It's data in, it's a transformation of data, and it comes with an output. Mm -hmm. um, and there's probably a bit of hard work to get there. Um, so payroll and, and making sure people are, people are paid correctly as a HR professional is always my first one because it's always the first thing that if you get wrong, it causes a lot of bad feeling in the organization. So that's, that's one area. Uh, another one that we're increasingly seeing is, um, and again, it, it relates a lot to employee experience, as much as anything else is is the onboarding process there are a lot of softwares out there that you can buy off the shelf that are all about engaging new employees on the way in but for example um, nearly every organization that I ever joined you on day one you get presented with a piece of paper and you have to fill in this piece of paper with mm -hmm. things like your father's name and your mother's name now I know that that's all going to the PRO um, to complete my visa but if you look at technology, for example, so few um, software, so few HR softwares actually store the data that you're going to need to mm -hmm. automate or to, to actually capture the stuff that you need for the visa process. Yes. So you have this horrible process where you can have this amazing onboarding platform, but actually there's still some really clunky bits that you can't fit, fit into that process. So there are ways that you, you know, it's just a bit of foresight in realizing what is it that you're trying to achieve with the automation? What's the data that you need to gather in the automation for it to work? And again, I think people sometimes look at the wrong things when, when they're considering automation. So it's, 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 it's a multifaceted challenge. And I think it's important to, and I always circle back to this, picking the right partner. Yep. Adding a tool to your process does not mean that you automated the process, but adding the right appropriate tool that will actually cut down your time. Yep. There are a lot of, there are a lot of good tools that actually can do the entire flow for you, or you can, you know, pick tools that do segments of the job for you mm -hmm. and then you connect them together. So that's super important. But when, when we're implementing these things, what kind of challenges would HR really face when implementing solutions? I'll give you a really good example, and it's a company that's grown to be much, much bigger today than, mm -hmm. than when this problem existed. Um, so I was one of the first people through the door to start to build the HR infrastructure for Noon. 
And Noon as we know it today is, is maybe not quite the tech platform that it was originally kind of set out and designed to be. It was phenomenally ahead of its time. But what happened in the HR sphere is we continually faced this challenge of looking at, we, we wanted best of breed technology. We wanted the very, very best. Um, the business was very well funded. But the challenge was everybody was going out and looking at tools and solutions, but nobody had scoped what you actually wanted to achieve with them. And that so, so often becomes the problem is, going back to that onboarding thing, we, we know that we need to capture employee data and we need to move them through a process. So we go and start looking at, at tools and solutions, but we've not actually gone back to properly scope what we needed. In different size organizations, that can become even more of a problem. You, you know, if you've got a, a specific procurement department or a procurement officer, mm-hmm. um, you'll say, go find me a procurement platform. And then the guy who really knows, uh, sorry about a recruitment platform or, or technology platform. So the procurement guy goes out and it's like the blind leading the blind in the end. Exactly. You just end up with like a Frankenstein. Um, you end up with whatever has the best user interface and what you like, and you end up getting sold a solution. Mm-hmm. that you've really got no defense against because you really didn't start in the right place with the scope. That's super important. When, And I've, I've had this in the past with a lot of customers where they've had previous partners who did not fully understand their scope of work and the entire aim was to let me sell my software and let me sell it for multi years and you know get my bag and then that's it i'm leaving this conversation not continuing the relationship mm-hmm. but it's very important to dig deep into the daily operations and i always say to my clients your scope of work is not something that can be done in 2 days or a week, it's something that you have to dig into in detail with the partner that you're picking. And if that partner digs in deeply into your processes and actually finds a solution for it, then that's the right partner. If it feels edgy in between, then that's someone you shouldn't be continuing with. It's it's good to start with a healthy distrust of somebody trying to offer you a a solution or a platform and Mm -hmm. their fundamental job is to sell you a license. Yes. (laughs) And as long as you understand and respect that, then you kind of, you know where they're starting from and you know mm-hmm. what you want to achieve in the conversation and you know there's probably some middle ground. But if you if you always remember that they're there to sell you a license, you know, and, and the, the reality of what this tool can do versus um, what they're telling you is maybe sometimes blurred, mm-hmm. um, you know, then, then you should, you know, it's a good place to start that conversation with not a mistrust, but with a, a just a healthy understanding of the different objectives from that meeting. Having comfortable conversations, yeah. get comfy with them, ask a lot of questions, test, do your testing, uh, try and get testimonials, try and understand what the post-sales relationship is as well with that partner with other people. And that will give you an explanation of, you know, what your future with them would be looking yeah. like. Well, yeah. One of the biggest challenges that I faced, and this was working with an education organization a few years ago where I was chief HR officer, and it was a, it was a medium-sized for UA, kind of 600, 700 employees. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was no longer a small enterprise. And the challenge that we found there when it came to technology and automation is we, we had a drive from, from the board to modernize technology, but that drive wasn't matched by the reality of where we were as an organization. Mm-hmm. Um, a contract then was undertaken to look at, I think it was Microsoft Dynamics 365. And as a chief HR officer, my challenge was I couldn't be involved in every step of the process. And, and this, the, uh, the reason I'm telling this story is it happens so, so often. We see it almost every day today. At the end of the discovery and when they built the first phase of this solution for us, I came into the meeting for the mm-hmm. sign-off. And uh, as they're going through the solution, and it was something as simple as custom localized payroll. And I remember sitting there and saying, well, 
why does this not do that? And the vendor said, well, because you never asked us to. <laughs> and my answer is, but we don't know what this technology can do. Exactly. And, and that sometimes, again, even once you've done the deal, the challenge is that, again, think of what people's motives and, in, and intentions are. The person who comes to do the deep dive in the scope of your solution is usually a technology person. They're not a functional person. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to understand properly what your challenges are. And you're going to be required to come up with that detailed scope. And they'll go away and build exactly what you asked them to. But you can't expect them to join the dots. And, and that's why so many enterprise um, solutions um, in many, many organizations, that's why I think there's something like a 70% a failure rate of, of enterprise implementations. And that's usually the reason is the disconnect between the implementation partner, who's a technologist, and the function who, who understands what their, um, you know, what, what the technology can do. Um, and there's, there's always that gap. It's a real, real challenge. From my previous um, experiences going into uh, complex solutions or complex scopes of work with clients, it was always beneficial to have uh, a technofunctional consultant with us. Mm -hmm. uh, besides, you know, the regular salesperson who understands how operations work, how procurement work, they know the business uh, workflows. But the technical person would be able to understand uh, the client's perspective with this person in the room. Mm -hmm. So having the conversation as three, you know, points here in the conversation is, I, I think it makes it easier and reduces the fail rate of having the correct scope of work and implementing the right yeah. solution for the business. Uh, absolutely. You know, I always, the, the most often phrase that I use probably every single day, and I've used it twice, I think, on memory today already, mm -hmm. is that you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. um, the, the vendor doesn't know much about your business unless you tell yes. them. And you don't know much about the technology. You don't know, you're never going to know the full potential of that technology unless you have a really wide ranging conversation. And it's that again, it's like you said, it's about the quality of that relationship with the vendor that is going to get you the better quality outcomes. Mm -hmm. And some people would say that I would not need the, the, the good relationship with my vendor because I'm going to buy it. Sometimes it's self serve and then I'll do everything on my own. But okay, if you're comfortable with that, that's completely okay. But you need to also keep in mind that you as a business, you scale, mm -hmm. you grow and your operations change. And as an SME, what you did yesterday might not work today. Yep. And it happens on a daily basis. I change my processes every week, yep. <laughs> honestly. So um, having, having that type of relationship, like just take them as part of your team. Help them understand what you're going through. If there's a new challenge, be comfortable conversing with them. It's not always a transactional uh, type of relationship. It's always easier to be buddies yeah. <laughs> at work. Yeah, it is. It is. There almost seems to sometimes there's this. I'm saying that there needs to be a healthy understanding of where the where the other party is coming from. But I think sometimes in this region, it almost verges on the mistrust. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm not going to tell you this because you're going to charge me more. But it's like you know, it's like buying a Ferrari and and then not knowing how to drive it, right? Um, you know, it's it, it's so so. You know, you, you go and do the driving course, right? Because then you can get the best out of what you bought. And and that's we, we see that kind of antagonistic relationship a, a little bit. And 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 that's you know, I've been sat in the middle of that as as a functional user when we've got finance trying to drive a deal mm -hmm. and we've got the vendor trying to do something else. I'm like, guys, I just <laughs> want my system to work. <laughs> Yeah, 
yeah um it's it's the truth of what what we are in right now and trust is something that's something looked at skeptically in the region especially in the MENA region so being a partner that you can be trusted finding a vendor that you can easily have a conversation with always setting things in paper mm-hmm. i love it when someone summarizes uh, the end of a discussion with me and tells me this is what you asked for yeah. this is how we can deliver it and this is when we'll deliver it i i love that type of communication um it makes me trust the yeah. person it's impossible for me to have a conversation with you and trust you immediately but work towards it and it will be easier to capture anyone's attention in this region no absolutely and i'm terrible at that i, I probably have 10 meetings a day with people mm-hmm. and um, I have voice notes, I have written notes, I have scribbles that the day after I don't know what they are. Yeah. Um, and, and you can always see when you sit down with somebody who's super organized, especially from a vendor perspective, mm-hmm. you see the ones who are really engaged and want to get it right. Because, yeah, they take the notes, they draw the diagrams, and then they share it with you afterwards. It's like, yeah, actually, he's listened. Yes. Um, you know, even if he didn't know half of what you were talking about, <laughs> he's listened because he's written it down. Right? He tried to figure it yeah. out. <laughs> and, you know, like... Since we're talking about automation, even when we're trying to, these conversations or these scope of works drives take a very long time mm. and a lot of detailed conversations. Uh, record the conversation. Yeah. Start to Google uh, Keep. It will, you know, write down everything that you discussed. Then you can get back to it. Yeah. That's that's my hack personally. Yeah. I think the the other thing as well is remember that the vendor who's sat in front of you can only talk to you about the products and the services or solutions that they have to offer. Yes. And again, I, I think you know we we're starting to see this so so often. We were with a client yesterday who has made a decision to go down the route of using Oracle for their um, their HR system. Their inter- the, the the client's internal team and ourselves have been having a conversation for a very long time about how they're not ready to go there yet. Mm-hmm. But there's a political decision that happens from above and, and, and they move forwards. Um, the, the challenge is that the vendor in the room is an Oracle vendor. So he's not going to be talking to you about a different payroll solution. You know, that, that again is the challenge is if you don't get the right people in the room, you don't select the right vendors and Correct. you don't select the right tools. Correct. And we'll probably, we'll come on to this a little bit later about the, the tool selection mm-hmm. um, because some of them are, are maybe a little less obvious. And that's where your CTO comes in in terms of understanding what different types of technology are out there, where the functional leader comes in in terms of understanding what is in your functional realm. Um, you know, so it's not kind of a, a one person decision. I think you have to be collaborative across your team and the organization to get to those right outcomes. And I think this drives back into trust. Mm. People immediately hear when you talk about automation, Oracle, Microsoft, SAP. These are the first names that will pop into their minds because they have been in the market for so long Mm. and they are good at what they do. But is it the right thing for you? It's uh, going back to that noon example. The, the conversation that was taking place very early on in noon was they wanted the very best of the best. So the, the at the time, the best user interface from an ERP perspective on the HR side was Workday, right? Workday was just starting to come to the fore, mm-hmm. but they won't sell it to you in this region. So that was kind of off the table. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when we started to dig around and, and ask, well, well, why Workday? Nobody really knew the answer. Because it's everywhere. Just because. Yeah. Just because, right? And then it would have been Oracle or it would have been, you know, depending on the, the alignment of, the, of the, the, the owner of the business, it would mm-hmm. have been Oracle or SAP. I think the challenge that we're seeing is when you start to talk about automation, it's actually super, super difficult to automate processes in these mega platforms. And especially when you kind of get this SME function and, and kind of organizations who are here today but have aspirations to be here. 
looking and, and, and locking your processes in to uh, a very expensive, very cumbersome platform very early on is a real problem because your processes aren't mature enough. You've not grown enough. You, you Once you've locked your process into Oracle, mm-hmm. um, well, if you need to tweak that process, it will either, cost you're you. going, yeah, either the vendor loves you because they're, they're going to hold their hand out for $10,000 mm-hmm. or you need an internal resource with the ability to make that change. And what we're starting to see is, is in the automation space is there's a definite shift now from a cost effectiveness perspective from clients who understand that the final part of processing should be done in your ERP in Oracle because it links across your finance system or SAP or Workday, whatever, because that links your, your human capital systems with your finance and kind of the, the big enterprise resource systems. But actually, all of the stuff that leads up to the process, we're starting to be done more and more using robotic process automation because it's super flexible to be able to change as a business evolves. Yeah. And we've recently started to get more and more involved in, in SMEs with maybe 100 to 150 employees who know that they're on quite a big growth trajectory, um, but they're using a really cool suite of systems. They know they're going to end up with ERPs eventually, but they also recognize, this is the biggest part on their journey, they also recognize that they've got a long way for these processes to mature. 100%. And if you start trying to lock them into a, a structure now, it's just a recipe for... It will restrict them. It's going to get very expensive long-term. With a lot of restriction, Mm. honestly. So we know that, you know, business is scale and it's important for you not to lock yourself in uh, in a solution that sets the process for you. So how do we see this uh, mindset indulging into the mentality of people and changing the direction of automation in the coming five to ten years? I think, you know, we... If you look at the history of technology in, in human resources or in finance or in any other sector, we seem to go through kind of fits and starts, right? If you look in the in, in the 1980s, we had typewriters and we're moving towards computers. Um, and then we started to kind of have Microsoft and we had Windows and spreadsheets and things like that. Then we started to have these, these systems that, that did these cool things that we'd never been able to do before. And very quickly, they gained a lot of traction and and started to offer solutions in all areas of our business. And everybody was then all of a sudden shoehorning all of their things into Mm -hmm. one single solution. And then Apple happened and people started to realize, ah, this ecosystem with apps. Um, And and slowly then people started to move away from the big ERP solutions and the big single single solutions. And they started to realize, well, actually, if we can integrate this app that's best of breed in performance management and Mm -hmm. we can link that with the best of breed in onboarding and talent acquisition and well-being or whatever, if these can be linked together seamlessly in an app ecosystem, the way that you have your iPhone in the middle and all of these apps just work, well, then why wouldn't we do that? And especially if it's more cost effective, because as we develop, we can actually swap apps in or out. Yeah. And then, of course, the big providers start to look at that and think, ah, oh, yeah, if we don't do something <laughs> here, we're going to lose out here. So now when you look at uh, Microsoft, when you look at Oracle Workday, etc., all of these guys now are modularizing and, and kind of creating this They this broke down ecosystem. their processes yeah. into different their, apps. Their platforms are very much being broken down into yeah. smaller bite-sized chunks, which I think is a really good thing in the market because it means you don't have to commit to this huge behemoth that you literally don't, don't need, need as an SME. Yeah. And actually, you know, you look at things like Salesforce, 
you look at um, Oracle and SAP and finance, for example, and they've now brought out SME-specific solutions, yeah. which I think, again, is a big step forward because it means you can get a piece of that really robust ecosystem, but you don't have to pay for this crazy stuff that you're never, ever going to use or need. I think that's a really good step forward into kind of where we are today. I think as we move forward beyond that, what people are starting to see is that trying to get every single one of your processes into these systems, everybody's now starting to think, ah, that's that's maybe not the right way to do things. We're getting a lot of tools that are using AI for predicting processes. Mm-hmm. Like I've mentioned already, robotic process automation can kind of plug in anywhere. Um, and there's a lot more tools and technologies now that are starting to augment um, everything and help all of these things patch patch together. So I think long term we'll stay within this app ecosystem. The lazy will continue to go with everything with one provider. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I think the better solutions will always be. You decide how you want to want to run your business. You decide how you want to you know have a learning management platform, and you go with the best for your needs rather than just what that provider gives you out of the box. So I think you know that that's that's you know that that's starting to speed up even further. Yeah, I, I am noticing the the, the change. Um, a lot of integrations are happening. For example, um, with Udo, you mm-hmm. know that that's yep. a great uh, CRM yep. tool, but as a storefront, people will usually connect with. Shopify, Magento, mm-hmm. other things like that, because they understand that this app does what I needed to do perfectly, but it's lacking in this area. Yep. So let me plug something else that will, you know, work best for me. So that, you know, as you said, that type of innovation is coming in and the smart decision makers, people who understand that you need to stay innovative on your feet and adaptive to the changes of your business, the change in mentality of your team, how they grow in their productivity. It's very important for you to also keep your automation flexible. Yeah. 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 And Odoo is a great example. And I've spoken to the guys at Odoo a couple of, last time a couple of years ago, and I, I love their ecosystem. It's great. Mm-hmm. What I also loved is the fact that they were honest. And it comes back to that honesty from vendors in that when I outlined what I needed for this particular element of a project, they said, yeah, we can do this, this, and this. This, yeah, we've got a solution, but I don't think it's really going to do what you need. Yeah, And And, they would recommend the next best thing. Yeah, and, and they will recommend something that isn't their solution, which I think is phenomenal because if they can tell me the first three parts that they can offer that worked great, mm-hmm. and then they can tell me something that has a native integration into that that works the way that I need this particular part to work, that's the sort of trust that we need. Exactly. Um, you know that that really kind of you know solidifies the relationship there to go back and and to you know to use that that vendor again in the future. Yeah. So that's the type of consultant that you want to look for. Absolutely. Someone who's transparent on what you can and cannot do, giving you the next best option and I think that's the reason why Udu has been growing in the market. Mm. They have been gaining trust yeah. because of such approaches. Yeah, I think so. And and you know, I think everybody it's it's refreshing when you see it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're so used to being sold to. Yeah. Um yeah, they've still got a job to do. They still want to sell your licenses. But, you know, they do it in you know, my experience has been that they do it in a very respectful way. Um, you know, the success that they're having is, is kind of testament to that is they give you what you need and they don't force on you what, what you don't need. Mm-hmm. And that's not just them. There's, there's other guys who are using that, that, that approach as well. And, you know, again, I think the market's starting to think, yeah, we've had enough of the old way of being sold to. Um, you know, and, and these people really understand 
what I need and, and they're not trying to give me something that I don't. And so, I, again, you know, it's not just the platforms, but it's how they're sold to us. Yeah. You're absolutely right, uh, John. This is the level of maturity that I think all of us as digital transformation experts wanted to see in the market, where people now understand that break down your processes, break it down into different apps if you need to, that's completely fine, and then connect it so then you know, as you progress as a business or as you innovate as a company, you give room for your team to be uh, productive and innovative in what they do. You're not restricting them to mm. these, you know, old time yeah. processes and like keeping them stuck in something for the next uh, 10 years. A different, you know, point of view to the automation that in, in the department that we're talking about right now, which is HR. How does it affect recruitment? Um, how does it affect recruitment and how should it affect recruitment? Um, it's a really interesting topic. I mean, recruitment is one of the most divisive topics in technology for me. You know, even going back to the CV, mm. right, going back to the fact that the CV is still the tool by which we determine that we want to speak to a candidate. Um, I, I think any professional that I've ever spoken to who's done enough recruitment in their life accepts that that process just is not a predictor of whether that person can do the job. Um, it's just such a poor process. But the problem is nobody yet today has found a solution that works any better. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of stuck with this thing from the 1900s that today is, is still no better. So what we're looking at then is, is how can we use technology? And we've seen technologies that will pass CVs and put them into databases of recruitment systems that more often than not, you know, and, and to call one out is Taleo. Um, you know, it just doesn't work. And and there'll be lots of people watching this who say, oh, John, that's unfair. But I remember the last time I was a job seeker about four or five years ago, I actually used to go to go through LinkedIn or wherever. And when it took me to Taleo to apply for a job, I just didn't apply for the job because it frustrated me so much that the technology around upload your CV and then it, then it passes into the fields and it passes it all incorrectly, even though my, my CV was very, very meticulously and straightforward um, formatted. Mm -hmm. um, so these tools that, that, are, that are here, they're just they're horrendously done and they force candidates down a process that's awful, which doesn't help your employer brand. And why? It's because somebody somewhere in that organization has determined that the data has to be collected in this format. Now, I'm a data person, and, and I love the ability of what you can do once you've collected data in a structured format. But then we've kind of here got the tail wagging the dog because you're not getting candidates because your, 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 your data collection process is so poor. Mm -hmm. So that, that's kind of one element to it. Um, I think the other element then is, is where can we use technology that actually helps us to execute the selection process better? Because at the moment, um, and we, you know, we see this day in day out. Everybody tends to think or like to think that they are the best judge of a character that exists, mm -hmm. and nobody really likes to have that judgment called into question. The reality is, you and me sitting here talking about a job has no more predictive validity of mine or your capability to do that job than um, throwing a coin up in the air and seeing whether it lands heads or tails. That is a statistic that has been replicated in study after study after study. There is no predictive validity of an interview. So where I'd like to see technology go, and something we're looking at quite closely, 
um, is how you can find a way to use the tools that are already available a bit better. So looking at, for example, psychometric assessments. Mm -hmm. Psychometric assessments, again, help with that predictive validity, but only if they're done in the right way. And at the moment, people use a psychometric assessment online, and they use it as part of the selection process to whether you're going to interview somebody or not, which is completely wrong. The normal consensus of me personally, and a lot of people that I know, if you get that type of questionnaire or that quiz, you try to answer it in the right way possible and not being yeah. yourself, which sometimes can land you in the wrong direction. Yeah. There's ways, you know, so some of the tools that we use, there are reliability scores that come at the end because mm -hmm. there are ways to see whether somebody's trying to game the assessment. But one of the things that we're exploring with a client at the moment is how to build a workflow before we even start the process that... Um, the competencies for a role is defined or for a department is defined and therefore that competence, that comp those competencies are linked to, um, to the job and when the candidate goes through the process and they get to the psychometric um, assessment stage, the psychometric assessment is actually used not to select or deselect because that's not the purpose of the tools but it's actually there to protect somebody who could be an outstanding candidate at interview. I interview generally very well. I often have, inter have got most jobs that I've, I've been interviewed for. But I've been, in, I've been hired to jobs that I'm, after a very, very short time, I've realized I'm completely unsuitable for. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes you have to save the candidate from themselves. Yes. So if you know and understand the behaviors and competences that are required for the role, and you can find a way to assess that, and then on the back end, you're not making a decision off that assessment. What technology is starting to do, and there's a local company here, um, I can't remember the name of them now, it was uh, Propel International, it's launched here. They've created a really cool tool on their platform where you can, um, at the back end of the, um, of the psychometric assessment, it actually spits out the questions that you need to ask against the risk areas. Mm -hmm. So it's not there as a judgmental tool. It's there to say, John, I, I've, I can see from this assessment that maybe this behavior could be a, a derailing behavior or, or a weak area for you. As part of the hiring process, I'm going to ask you a question about it. If you answer the question and you satisfy me, then they're great, right? Mm -hmm. It's not a, a pass or fail assessment, but it just helps the interviewer to guide the direction of the interview correctly. Because guess what? Most of us are terrible at interviewing. We have all of our inherent biases, um, you know, and, and it's very, very difficult, even for those that are well-trained, to avoid those biases. So I think, you know, it's about, again, how you can use technology and, and line it up in a process that helps you to get the right outcomes, whereas all too often we're seeing psychometric assessments used as a way to reduce 100 candidates down to 10 which is, is crazy, right? It's not the use of the purpose of those tools. So it's about using the right tools for the right outcomes and, and, and really understanding how you can get the, the, the best value out of those, those solutions. So can we agree that there isn't a perfect tool for recruitment right now, but it depends on the nature of the job, it depends on your company's culture, so it, and it also depends on the interviewer and the employer in question? Yeah, I think, you know, one, one of, I remember any corporate or any organization wants to control process, okay? And one of the things that used to always disturb me as a chief HR officer was we had a really good interview framework. And we, we did it because we knew that, you know, we, we knew over time that it was starting to get us the outcomes that we needed. The problem is when a hiring manager closes the door, I have got no control whether he's asking those questions or not. Mm -hmm. um, and as a result, um, we, have, we had a situation, and still my, my old colleagues laugh about it today, 
where we knew that the final stage of the process where the candidate went to go and meet the CEO, we were like, oh my God, what's he going to ask? Um, and at the end of it, the CEO will come back and say, I think this person is not suitable for this organization. I said, oh, why? Ah, oh, just a feeling I get. <laughs> well, why? What did you ask him? What was it? He and, and it was just a completely unstructured conversation that at the end of all this curated process that we had um, kind of derailed everything. And I think, you know, the, the thing is you, you, you try to control what you can control in the process. So we want to control, you know, what happens at the top of the funnel. We can control our employer brand through technology, mm -hmm. um, how we use social media, how we use all those things. So we can influence the quality of the people who are coming, coming into the in, top yes. of our funnel. We can influence to an extent how we um, search and how we filter those people down, those candidates down to maybe a, a shortlist. Let's say, I don't think the process is infallible, but it's what we've got. We can then um, have all manner of different interview types, assessment types, etc. Um, and again, that needs to be lined up with what you want to achieve with the employer brand. Um, you know, the relevance of what outcomes you need. So, you know, it's, it's again, it's like there are a million and one tools out there. If you can find the array of tools that can get you towards the outcome that you need whilst respecting and enhancing your employer brand and longer term, you know, in, in improving hiring outcomes, um, it very much is, you know, horses for courses. Every single organization will have a different view on it. You know, I don't think there is any one single solution. And, and that's the challenge that, you know, when there's not a single agreed upon standard, um, you know, it literally becomes a bit of a free-for-all. And that's that's the challenge of where we are. And I think a lot of technology exploits that because you look at the proliferation of recruitment software and applicant tracking systems, there's millions out there. And when you strip it all back, they all do the same thing. Really, you know, with, with, with kind of minor variations and different colorways and different ways of clicking a button to move a candidate from A to B, they all do the same thing. They move somebody from the top of the hiring funnel to the end. Yes. Um, the technology actually becomes irrelevant um, because it all does the, you know, all does kind it's of... It's all a trickle-down type the of process. The core functionality is the same. Yeah. I think with recruitment, yes, you know, it, it is something that's hectic and there's a lot of resumes that you will have to go through. So you need something to trickle down the process for you. But I also think it's a very human task. It's related to the candidate, their position, how can they fit in your organization, not just from a skill point of view, but also from a personal uh, mm -hmm. perspective. So a human involvement in this process is of no harm. It, it's hectic. You know, we've all been hiring managers. We all had to sit down and look at 500 CVs after filtration. But coming down to the right candidate that will be suitable for your company, you really need to get in there, look at the details of, you know, the data that you are having. Always review the process, in my opinion. I even had instances where I would actually test the system out and go and look at the CVs that it rejected yeah. to make sure that we are in the right direction of where we or how we want to trickle down. Yeah. Um, the candidates. And you've got to accept it's never going to be an exact science and it's never going to be perfect. When you're yeah. using like natural language processing, it's always going to pick up certain combination of words that you could never have forecast, mm -hmm. right? So it's always going to be slightly imperfect. And, and I sense the candidate's frustration in that when you know you're a good candidate against that job description, but I, I never heard anything or I never... The thing that to. might have threw you off is maybe there's a line in your CV that didn't yeah. go through the, the scanning and, and tool. And it's frustrating. And it's also frustrating that you know, the, eventually the employer might not get to the absolute perfect candidate. Yes. But guess what? In this region, you're getting a couple of thousand candidates for every job in a lot of cases. 
And you're going to have to get through an imperfect process to whittle that down to the five or ten that you're actually going to interview. Mm. And you will have some collateral loss in the meantime. And I think that's the kind of thing is if you're striving for a perfect solution, I don't think a perfect solution is ever going to exist. Um, We've tried um, with with some organizations, we've tried um, the use of video interviews, um, one-way video software interviews with certain behavioral questions that can be transcripted and have that transcript analyzed by natural language processing. And we tried that with one organization who wanted to move away from CVs. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was good for a time, but then you started to see the, the kind of the concept unraveling. You know, whilst it was novel, everybody thought it was great. And yeah, we can dispense with the CVs. He's telling us how great he is at doing his job and we can shortlist that way. Um, but eventually, you know, you get to a point where, but yeah, I just do need to have a look at the bigger picture and understand the context of how this, this person's career has progressed. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and it's really unfortunate because it's like that one thing that everybody agrees is not satisfactory. But we have to keep going back. It, it's always that type yep. of game. Not everyone will be happy. You will not have a hundred percent accurate process that does everything A to Z, no errors. We'd love to have such a thing, but for you to get to that, you have to go through the imperfections in between. Do, do you know in in a lot of the um, automation projects we work on, our clients set off with a notion that we can automate hundred percent of work. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things that we have to say to them is, look, if we can automate 80% of this task, that's amazing. That's a great starting point. And then they say, okay, so you've, you've, done, you've automated 80% of the work. Um, how do we get to 90? So we, we'll get them to 90. We'll analyze why the, why the process isn't, isn't automating all of them. We'll, we'll figure out how to do an extra 10%. But then what you get to for that last 10% is you get to a place where maybe one thing every year happens that the automation can't deal with Mm -hmm. there's no point building a solution to solve that one instance that happens once a year and so for us part of the maturity journey that we explain to clients is be happy if you get to 80 percent because if we get to 90 percent that's phenomenal but don't ever expect to get to 100% automation because it's just not realistic. Yes. There are some tasks that you can get to 100% that are very, very structured. But most tasks that we do in daily life, it's impossible to get to 100% automation unless you're manufacturing something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, human-centered processes, we're still going to need that 10% of cognition in most cases to, to get involved when something's not quite following the expected path. Yeah. And it can be a breather for you to, you know, break down from or like to drive away from all the meetings that you have on a regular basis. And you, you just want to like sit at your computer and do manual tasks. Yeah. Some, Honestly, after long weeks or long days of having a lot of conversations with different people, I just want to not talk to anyone and do admin. Yeah. I want to record stuff on the CRM. That's and, fine. And you know, sometimes, you know, you look at it from a from a finance perspective, right? A lot of the automation work that we do takes away a lot of the Excel work that happens. But you know what I found over the years, particularly with people analytics, is you you can automate that thing, but some of the most profound things that I found in data have just been from messing about with the data. Mm -hmm. And if the automation takes me away from that time that I have just, what, what if I do this formula and see this, and what if I test this hypothesis? If the automation takes me away from working in that data all the time, I would never have found some of the discoveries that I found that have made massive changes subsequently right. in an organization. Yeah. So we've got to be careful what we wish for. Mm. You know, if you try and eliminate that work with the data 100%, you're going to eliminate that, that 
let's just try this and see yeah, what happens. Yeah, the, the drive to yeah, yeah. You, switch you then, things up. You then lose, you then lose the innovation Correct. that you thought you were actually going to gain. Yeah. And, and it's, it's madness when you think about it like that. It's crazy. Yeah. So it's a general uh, rule to life. Be content with what you have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, keep pushing. Keep, keep pushing, pushing and you know what you but, get is. But don't don't you know perfection. Strive for perfection. No, yeah. nobody's ever going to get perfection. Yeah. So these these are a lot of technical things, but something that HR deals with on a regular basis is sensitive information. Mm-hmm. Data privacy is very important for HR professionals. When we are implementing a solution. Do we have to keep in mind any type of legalities or constraints with with the security of the information? Yeah, I mean, you know, many people will will know of um, GDPR that has been implemented in the in the EU for the last five five seven years, mm-hmm. um, maybe longer. And I think in this region, maybe people look at Europe and think, ah, oh, yeah, that doesn't apply to us yet. But actually, if you look at most common law in, in UAE and Saudi and, and various GCC countries, a lot of the common law is actually based on European law, which in turn is based on common law. And what you'll find in terms of the data legislation, a lot of which was passed last year in the UAE, is that things such as subject access requests, um, which are the bane of HR's life in, in Europe, are actually a thing in the, in, in the UAE, and nobody actually really knew that. And we know that because when we speak to lawyers, they're starting to find that employees are increasingly becoming of their rights when it comes to data, in particular data that impacts on them through decisions that are made about them. So for example, like a recruitment system, if a recruitment system has an algorithm that includes or excludes you, you actually have the right under UAE data protection law to go to that data handler and ask for an explanation as to why your data was handled in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and most organizations are not aware of that yet. And what we're seeing increasingly is the big law firms here um, you know, are quite rightly banging the drums and saying, look, this is really in its infancy at the moment. We don't know, you know, we, at the moment we're not quite seeing enforcement in law, but what will start to happen as the law matures and people start to really understand the implications and employees start to understand the implications, what employees will start to do, it's wrong to say they will exploit it, but if a, if, if a HR system, for example, holds data about me and somebody has made a personal remark about my behavior or conduct that's not substantiated, in Europe that can lead to lawsuits. Mm-hmm. And where we're going to end up in UAE, quite rightly, because we should be careful about what we're recording and, and what, what's not recorded. So moving forward when it comes to a systems and a technology perspective, we do really need to think about what's being recorded, what's the purpose of it, why are we really taking that action with that data? And if it does have an implication, be aware that you may down the line be asked to justify that. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important. You know, if we, for, for those of us who've worked in Europe, we've got a little bit of a head start about what this causes. Um, a subject access request, for example, in the UK, um, it's 10 years since I was working in that environment, but a subject access request can take you weeks because if that subject access request is made, you have to drain, you have to go through every single one of your systems. You have to take screen prints of every single thing in your system about that subject, about that data subject. And what then happens is employees or customers or anybody who's a data subject can almost bring an organization to a standstill by just piling in data sub- uh, subject access mm-hmm. requests. And we've seen it happen in the UK. 
um, when an organization falls foul of the public, they will use the, the public will use this to just create chaos yeah. in that organization. So yeah, most people aren't aware that that as just one example is already here. Um, and we need to be, you know, I think HR professionals really need to get involved in the in the data law space and, and really understand the implications of what we're doing. And I also think not just from a legal perspective, but you as a person, are you going to be okay with someone looking at your own, per, you know, PIP information or performance mm-hmm. review information? Uh, would you like that being shared with other people? What kind of perception with you know, if my team finds out about this information, how would they look at me? Yeah. If, and again, another general rule of life, if you don't like it for yourself, then you shouldn't like it for others. I think people just have to be very careful, you know, as you said, the levels of information or, you know, making sure that they are abiding by the law with different things, but also keeping in mind the personal aspect of it. And HR are the best people of this because they're like, they're the they're the ones responsible about the emotions and the you know morale of the employees. So yeah. they already have that instilled in their minds by default, hopefully. Um, and then you know having that additional look at the technicalities of the law. It's, it's figuring out who needs access to what mm-hmm. and and why. I mean, I, I've I've <laughs> I've seen this this in a, a in a, the bonkers extreme in when I worked in Saudi. Um, when I was working in Kaust, for example, there, it was a very politically sensitive project for a number of reasons, and there were a lot of people in the kingdom who um, maybe wanted that project to fail. And so there's a lot of concerns about adverse media, and at some point before I arrived, there was a situation where payroll data was leaked into the public, which was very, very controversial mm-hmm. um, for, for a number of reasons. And as a result of that, what happened then is... Um, the payroll data was absolutely embargoed to everybody except for two people in the entire organization. Mm. And you can understand the, the reason for that. But one of the projects that I was leading was the compensation and benefits review. And I couldn't get the compensation and benefits data to be able to benchmark salaries. Mm. And we had to get 50 different permissions to be able to get to it. Yeah. And it, again, you know, we understand that, that that data was very, very sensitive. But the level of sensitivity then slowed everything else down. So it's about finding that right balance between who needs functional access to data. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the audit trail as to who has accessed it, just yeah. in case you do need to audit down the line why something has come to light. Um, but it's, it's, it's tricky, you know, it's a tricky thing. And, and this is where your more um, complex systems, such as your oracles, your, your ERP systems, have much more configurable and functional um, access control levels. Whereas your more simple HR tools um, don't allow that. So if you're a HR user, you can see everything. Um, the, the, the levels of access are very challenging. So again, if you're in a sensitive um, sector or if you're, you've got certain sensitive, you need to choose your systems quite carefully around payroll. So this actually brings us to our next question. We spoke about how to pick the right partner, what are the things to keep in mind, and a lot of points that we have to consider when we are picking the right tool or driving to that direction. What, From your experience, what are some examples of you know such tools that you know, are amazing for an SME to start with? Mm-hmm. Look, I think, um, you know, you, you look on the finance side, for example, going away from HR for a second, you've got all these, these tools now which can do, they have so much functionality, um, you know, uh, things such as zero. Um, uh, 
and you know and then the challenge that we've got is we've got some really great finance tools but they're very UK and US centric and when you look at then how they integrate with some of the really cool HR tools they only integrate with HR tools that work in the UK and the US. Yeah. So it's really frustrating because there's some really good stuff out there that we just can't use mm. or that we can't integrate well. Um, and, and some of that stuff for SMEs is, is really, really good. Um, I, I think you know what we're seeing in this region in particular, the, the starting point is, um, it is definitely around localised payroll. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Going back right to the top of, the, of, of our conversation, um, getting pay right is the most important thing. Um, you know, being able to just do simple things like accrue for gratuity, which doesn't, you know, it's done on spreadsheets in finance somewhere. Um, most payroll um, functionality here doesn't accrue for gratuity, so you yeah. never have a live visibility of what your gratuity accrual is. So, which is which I found bizarre when I first started. I've got quite a financial head on my shoulders, and I found it really bizarre that which, that gratuity didn't is the second. Annoying headache for uh, finance and HR after employee benefits. Well, I, I now as a business owner, um, I want to understand what my liability is at any given time. Mm-hmm. There are many SME companies, for example, they don't get the right accountancy advice, don't even realise that they should be accru- accruing for it. So where I think you know, for, for me over the last three years as a as a business owner, let's assume I knew nothing at all about human resources, and I come to hire my first person. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what I don't know, going back to the theme of what we've been talking about. Um, so I hire my first, my second, my third person. Um, and then the dawning realisation is that I don't really know what I'm doing because nobody's ever trained me to do this. I, I've never been trained to be a business we've owner We've all been before, there, right? yeah. Um, so what do I need to know? Well, I need to know, for example, um, I know there's this thing called gratuity that I have to pay somebody if they leave, but I'm not thinking about that now because I've just hired them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never really thought about the fact that I need to accrue for gratuity. So if I, you know, if I'm looking at a tool, I'm thinking, well, how can a tool keep me out of trouble? Mm-hmm. How can a tool be designed to flag to me the things that I probably haven't even thought about? And a lot of the localized payroll, um, a lot of localized payroll solutions are starting to realise that the out-of-the-box functionality helps people like me who, who you know, has never had to manage a payroll before, um, but to, to kind of think about the peripheral things that sit around payroll to help to keep me legal, to help to make sure that I know that if employee X leaves that I have to be aware that I've got to find the money for Y, you know, kind of certain things, obviously legislation in DWER and in, uh, sorry, in DIFC and the government are, are starting to kind of move the needle on that. But th- there's so many things that you don't know as a business owner. Mm-hmm. And if you can kind of get tools that off the shelf help you with that, let's be fair, that tool is probably not going to be the right tool for you in two to three years time. But let's also be realistic that you just need a tool that does the job for you now. Exactly. You're going to outgrow it at some point. So, you know, in that case, don't overthink it. Get, get something started. that will help you to get you to the stage where you need to be. And then iterate, either, you know, improve it or, or move to something else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think this this immediate expectation of perfection to try and find this tool that's going to take you from zero employees to 5,000, it doesn't exist. Um, you know, and then the other flip side to that is those companies, those SMEs or those founders who, look, you're founding a business because you want it to grow, right? But then you see a couple of years down the line all these crazy things going on in these businesses that have grown. You think, how did that happen? And most of the time, it's because even though a founder wants their business to grow and they're going to hire more people, 
they never actually planned for when it was going to happen. Yeah. So, you know, if you've got a business that realistically your growth plan is that if it all works great, you're going to go from zero to 50 in a couple of years, you need to be thinking about what the tool is today that you're going to need to get you to that 50. Whereas, again, we, we kind of have that skateboard mentality as to, you know, you want to build a Ferrari, but today we, we, we have a skateboard. Okay, that's great, but you've got to figure out what tools you need to get you to that 50 and to get you to that Ferrari. Yeah. Um, and that, that most often is, it's been a personal lesson for me as a, as a founder. Um, and, and when we go into clients' businesses, we see that so, so often that they've either tried for perfection and then they're clinging on to this technology that they've invested so much time and love in that just doesn't do the job they wanted it to do. Um, or they've got no systems at all. Yeah. Uh, there, there doesn't often seem to be the, the, the kind of in-between mm-hmm. um, because you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, honestly, it's, it's all a matter of scalability. And if, if, you, if you, whatever you're using right now, use it until you are at a point where it's not doing the entire job for you, that's the point where you understand, okay, this is this this is the stage where I am at, where I need to look at something bigger that will cover more of the operations that I, you yeah. know, I'm working on. Yeah, look, the, the question that I ask a lot of founders is, don't invest too much time, money and energy in, in you know, building big infrastructure for mm-hmm. what might become or what might not. But by the same token, you can go too much the other way. Um, you know, but the first question is, I always ask a founder or a small business owner is, um, don't take your eye off what you might become because you've always got to have that in mind. If, if you know, like I said, going back to that about potentially going to 50 employees, you might only be one today. But if you don't have in the back of your mind that you're aiming to get to 50, you need to be starting to think and making your decisions around, you know, just like your trade license and where you're going to have your visas, yeah. and just like the core operational stuff. Your systems and technology are just as important about getting you to that 50. Um, and so often in the early stages, you make quite short-term decisions that then come to hamper you for years and years to come because you then become a slave to the processes that you yeah. built in the early days. I always say it's better for you to outgrow something than to be stuck with it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. A, a very big investment in technology because it's been sold to you or because you think it's necessary. You, you then hold on for it for too long and it yeah. actually becomes a thing that slows your business down. It's okay to realize that you're bigger now, you're a big boy, you need bigger pants, you need bigger shoes. It's completely yeah. fine for you to let go or enhance what you already have just to, you know, get you that step forward, get you to that 50. It is, it's, it's planned redundancy, right? We're, we're building a platform solution for something at the moment. And the very first thing that my CTO said to me was, John, bear in mind that in 12 months time, we're going to pull this part and rebuild it again because we're going to learn so much in that first year that everything we think about today is is probably going to change. Which is completely fine. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and it was good because I've never done this before. Mm-hmm. I, I've never built a platform before. And it's great for me looking at it from the side of being a client. But then from the side of actually building one of these platforms, I think it has to be perfect and it has to yeah. do this and it has to do this. It's like, no, 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 listen to yourself. You go and tell clients every day that that's not how it should be. Yeah. Um, so if you start with planned redundancy in mind and you don't get too hung up on the fact that what you have today is not going to be what you have tomorrow, then you, you don't get too invested in something that becomes really personal when somebody mm-hmm. tells you you need to move away from it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and I think it's so important that as you, as you grow that be prepared to let stuff go that, that you've outgrown. Absolutely. Um, so 
coming back to you know the recommendations so we said finance can get started with zero it's a good tool mm-hmm. localized for yeah. the region what about the other sides of the business yeah i mean we there's a few tools that, that we use locally um that, that we think are good kind of starting points i really like uh, emirates hr for example it's had challenges over the over the last couple of years but i think they're, they're in the right place now mm-hmm. one of the challenges or one of the really benefits and, and I think this stems from a knowledge of, of kind of really understanding what the HR community want, is they're actually developing their product alongside building a HR community. Mm-hmm. So what we're starting to see with those guys is there's a thriving HR community and discussion board attached to their platform that's helping them understand what the HR community really wants and putting it into their pipeline. And I think they're the first organization here that's actually done that. And I think that's really, really valuable. Um, another tool that we're seeing, um, uh, we're seeing people pick up quite a lot uh, Again, it's really under the radar is a tool called dots hr nothing flashy it just works mm-hmm. it just works and the pricing is in the nice you know is in a nice spot for for kind of small small medium-sized businesses um and again both of those center around a localized payroll and i think both of them also when you take your next steps also offer localized payroll for each of the gcc countries so it, it helps you to do that initial initial phase and there's quite a few, you know, Gulf HR is, is another one we come across quite frequently. And all of these tools do the core stuff really well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no, it's not Oracle. No, you can't, you know, do cost distributions and, and things like that. But why would you need to at this stage? You're getting uh, started. Yeah, it, it does. The, it records your data. It keeps you on the straight and narrow. It runs your payroll. It, you know, these things are really, really simple processes. But you know, you're probably then delaying the time that you need to hire a payroll officer because most of these things are just done for you. Yeah. You know, so these tools are kind of really good to get started. I think they're in, in a really good price point. Um, you know, and 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 really kind of help you to get that structure in your business. And even the advanced stuff like employee self-service that mm-hmm. you used to have to pay a fortune for, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, employee self-service, well, how good in the early days when you don't have to write a bank letter because you can configure how that bank letter is done in the self-service modules of these tools. Um, you know, these used to be mega expensive features of, of the massy, the, the huge ERP systems. You're, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of uh, founders or businesses that will look at things saying that, okay, if this company has all of these tools, then I need them as well. If you're a company that's starting off with five employees, you don't really need performance management, mm-hmm. right? So go for what's suitable for you what's suitable for your business right now and grow into it. You don't have to buy the performance. You don't have to buy the Oracle that has every single tool and just wait for you to grow into it. That's just a waste of money, in my opinion, waste of money, time and energy. We, you know, have diverged into this in so much detail. Uh, I really appreciate your time today, John. It was a lot of great insight, a lot of great advice. Anything that you want to close off with? No, I think um, the, the the main takeaway is when it comes to HR is focus on your practices, mm-hmm. right? Your systems may down the line enable the practice, but nothing will replace doing the right things and, and managing your people well. A system won't enable that. It's the right ethics, the right mentality. Absolutely. Systems just help you along the way. Yeah. Great. Um, I completely agree with you, and it was a great conversation. It was a great time having you here, and I hope our listeners have also gotten a lot of great points out of this uh, episode and thank you very much for watching.